This morning from Genesis 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season. And your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child not now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh, yes, you did laugh. This is the word of God for the people of God. So we've been looking at these stories from Genesis that the roots of the covenant. We've looked at creation specifically two weeks ago and then covenant last week. We finished last week and I read you a verse from a hymn, the hymn of promise. I want to read you that verse again to help us make this connection of how Abraham and Sarah are learning about God and building this relationship. This verse read like this, in the bulb there is a flower. In the seed, an apple tree. In cocoons, a hidden promise. Butterflies will soon be free. In the cold and snow of winter, there's a spring that waits to be. Unrevealed until it's season. Something God alone can see. We finished last week focusing on the point that believing and trusting in God is the best way to relate to God, even if we have not or cannot see the outcome. Believing and trusting is the way of faith. Trusting God to lead us is the best way to move forward, the story pointed out to us. And yet we have this story. Now we have moved 
through some years and three chapters in Genesis. We're still looking at Abraham and Sarah, and the promise is still not fulfilled. They are still waiting, wondering, will God fulfill this promise? And I begin to think, as I read over and over this text this week, what about us? What can we learn about our own waiting and wondering in those times of doubt? How can we learn to have a better, a deeper, a more significant relationship with God even while we wait? I think this hymn written by Natalie Sleeth really helps us. I think she captures so many of the dynamics of faith that these stories are talking about. I want to read you the second verse. I think it will help us move ahead. She writes, there's a song in every silence, seeking word and melody. There's a dawn in every darkness, bringing hope to you and me. From the past will come the future. What it holds, a mystery unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. Unrevealed until its season. That's what this messenger, this stranger, these travelers who come to Abraham and Sarah say. We learn later it's the Lord speaking them. But twice in verse 10, then again in verse 14, the message is in due season. The promise will be fulfilled in due season. But you see, Abraham and Sarah are ready. They're ready now. They've been ready. They're hoping for this child. They've been promised a child and descendants beyond what they can count. And they're still waiting. And they're beginning to wonder how long, O oh Lord? How long do we have to wait? Are you really going to fulfill this promise? We have grown old now, the story tells us. They're thinking we are too old. The window of opportunity has passed. Can God, will God do this thing that they believe has been promised to them? They're beginning to get a little impatient. I think we can understand their impatience, though. There are times when we glimpse a path to the future, a possibility. Might be a child coming, a new job, change in housing, a move or change in circumstance that would help us get out of trouble. And once we glimpse it, we're ready for it now. We begin to get excited and anxious, sometimes overly anxious, wondering when will God move? When is God going to act? Will my expectations be fulfilled? Can it happen now? Hear the promise of God in due season. In due season. It was interesting to me that one of the Biblical commentaries I read this week talked about this cycle of Abraham's story starting in chapter 12, moving to chapter 21. And seven times it says, 
The promise is reiterated, or Abraham and Sarah receive reassurance that, oh yes, the promise is coming. Oh yes, the promise will be fulfilled. But you get the sense, of course, that they're hungry for it to happen now. They are ready right now, and they're having to wait. I begin to wonder, how long will we wait? I thought, what if I felt like God had promised me something specific and I was waiting and waiting and years passed and I saw the window of opportunity closing. Would I still be talking to God? Would I still be listening for God to prompt me, to speak to me, to lead me? Or would I have run out of patience and begun to look in other directions, begun to do other things? How do we wait when we have an expectation that something's going to happen? We believe God wants it to happen in our lives, and yet it's not come to pass yet. There are some clues in our story today that I think can help us with faithful waiting. Let us look at those. The first thing I notice is that Abraham is willing. He's willing to look and listen. He's willing to see. He's willing to hear. He's willing to follow. As you read through this, just as you do all the stories about him, you can see that he is a willing servant. He is wanting to respond to God. But you see it in particular, I think, in this story because it's filled with these action verbs about what Abraham does. The first set you see in the very beginning of verse 2. Abraham sitting on a hot day at his tent. And in the beginning of verse 2, he looked up and saw. And right there I thought, how often do we get caught in our own problems, kind of caught in the weeds of our own struggles and get so focused on the negative experiences of our life and the bad things that we think are happening around us that we cannot see the good any longer. Abraham reminds us sometimes it's important to look up and see God might be right there. A new thing may be about to happen, and perhaps we're going to miss it if we don't remember to look up and see. And then right after that, still in verse 2, it tells us when Abraham saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. And then it tells us he offers them water and bread. He ran, he bowed. And he offered them something for refreshment. Look up and see. And then jump into action. Be ready to do something. Be ready to be a part of that opportunity. Abraham was ready and jumps into action. When God or a vision of God shows up in our lives, do we respond so readily? Can you think of a time where you began to feel like God was at work in your life? Maybe you had a little nudge or a little prompting and you started to go but then hesitated. Abraham runs and is humble and is ready to give and offer something out of his own substance. If God is doing something new in your life, that is the great response. But you may have had the experience that I observe in so many. They begin to move and then they hesitate and they're not sure. And all of a sudden they're thinking, it's pretty comfortable right here. Maybe I should just protect what I have. And they fail to move. 
But Abraham gives us a very different example or model. I began to wonder why we are like that in terms of how we face change. I remembered some research I had read years ago that talked about that people respond to change in different ways. It said that some people gravitate toward the new or the innovative. They like change. They find joy and refreshment in it. So when there's something new comes along, they're ready to go. They're called the early adopters. Then there's others who are a little more adverse to risk. They want to check it out. Maybe they don't have as much information, so they wait a little longer to see how that's going to pan out. But finally, they take the step. They become the majority along with the early adopters. Then there's others who provide the stability in our lives. They are steady and consistent. They're the last group that's going to adopt the change. They want more information. They're going to investigate a little further. They may think there's a problem with whatever's getting ready to happen. They become the later adopters. So I was reading through this, and I'm thinking, Abraham, he's an early adopter. Then I looked up that research again, and I remembered they had a different group. They had the group that leads the change. They call them the innovators. Abraham is an innovator. He is ready to go. In verse 5, it says, Since you have come, let me serve you in this way. I'm ready to go. Where are you in that spectrum when God comes into your life and prompts you or moves you or gives you an opportunity? Do you run toward it? Are you ready or are you hesitant? Then there's this last set of verbs in verse 6, 7, and 8 where it says, And Abraham hastened into the tent. And then in verse 7, Abraham ran to the herd. And then in verse 8, Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. Again, all these action verbs. So Abraham has looked up and he sees. And then as soon as they have conversation, he offers. And as soon as they accept, he jumps into action. And he eagerly and energetically serves them. We can see throughout this cycle of stories about Abraham that he has a servant's heart. We've already read that he's ready to serve God. Now this story tells us he's also ready to serve others who come across his path. He is willing to give his all. He's willing to offer his obedience, his loyalty, his trust in the service of God and neighbor. And we should remember he is doing all of this before the promise has been fulfilled. He's still waiting for God to fulfill the promise. But in the meantime, he is ready to act and be a part of a life with God. At the end of last week's story, it says that Abraham believed the Lord after having doubts. This week, it's telling us he believes the promise. He believes the promise. He is a model for us in terms of a life of faith of what we can do in terms of attentive or active or faithful waiting. We can be willing. We can be humble. We can be looking. We can be giving. We can be serving. All the while that we wait. 
I read a story this week that a pastor had written about doing some premarital counseling. He said he had worked through all the sessions with this couple, only one meeting to go, and they were to look at the order of service of the actual wedding. So they got together, and the pastor laid out the service and was about to begin to speak about it. And the groom-to-be said, wait just a minute. I need to say something. And the pastor says, what is it? And he says, I'm really scared. Probably not what his bride-to-be was hoping to hear. But it reminded me of an experience in my own life when Mary and I were talking about getting married. Lots of people around me had had marital problems. Some had gone through a divorce. I was not so sure that this whole institution of marriage was a good idea. So I lined up a series of counseling sessions for us with different counselors I knew. Mary was very patient and agreed to go to all of them. At the last one, we walk into the fellow's office, and right off, I begin to tell him about all these problems I've seen in marriages and all the concerns I've had that this not happened to us. And he listened for just a few minutes. And then he said to me, it sounds like you want a guarantee. And I thought about that for a moment. I said, I think that's right. <laughs> and he said, there are no guarantees. I laugh nervously. <laughs> he said, what you're getting ready to do is make a promise. You're getting ready to promise to her that you're going to bring your best. Every day, you're going to do your best. You're going to be loyal and true and do all you can to make this a wonderful marriage. She's going to make the same promise to you. David, you have to decide if you'll trust the promise. It's then that I realized we never, ever get to experience the fullness and the fulfillment of the promise unless we're ready to trust enough to give it our all. Amen. And thanks be to God.